back to another episode of Crime and Coffee. I'm going to be your host today, Mike. And I am your sidekick today, Allison. Yeah, I mean, our names don't change, but uh, typically what we do is go back and forth about uh, which person's going to be telling the story today, and today's my job, So, um, and uh, you have no idea what I'm about to tell you. No idea. So it's going to be kind of fun, a fun little ride, um, you know, and we'll see uh, you know, what the reactions are live, and uh, everybody will learn something. And if you've heard the story before, maybe I'll bring you some more details. Who knows? Right? We'll see. Yeah. So if you could... Um, I guess we're going to find out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you could follow us online at um, Crime and Coffee 2 on Instagram or Twitter. Again, that's Crime and Coffee 2. Or um, if you could be so kind, um, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or uh, Good Pod or any of those uh, podcast networks. Helps us um, just to spread a little bit more. Do this exactly. more often. Yeah. It'd be appreciated. Exactly. So uh, how's your week going, my love? Um, Getting back in the swing of things. We got back from Chicago. I started back at work for the last couple of days. And, of course, we're in the last stretch before Christmas. Yeah, I should start Christmas shopping soon. I will murder you. Yeah. We will be talking, I will be talking about you on an episode if you do not, I don't have a gift under that tree. I don't know what you're doing. So, folks, um, let me tell you. (laughs) Allison's very specific about wanting as many presents as possible. She's not big on necessarily even what she's getting or anything. It, she's not really into like super expensive stuff. She just loves to open presents. Who just doesn't lo- like to open presents on Christmas? I'm holding my hand up. Oh, I don't God. Love it. Here we go again. She thinks, He's up on his high horse. The horse is really tall this morning. She thinks I'm some kind of martyr or something. Yes. I don't know. I think you're just jealous that you wish you could be more like me. I don't really care about Christmas presents for me. But you know what, Mike? What? Every year you get them i know so you don't have to care because they're just there yeah yeah but uh you specifically like allison is you're, you're always the last one out of your family to have a present like she'll always hold two or three to the <laughs> side and if it's like we we go around doing taking turns of you know a lot some families just go crazy and start opening presents oh god i get so anxious just watching a scene like that in a movie yeah because i like to know what people are opening and if it's from me i want to see the reaction you know, so if everyone's opening at once, it's all over in like two minutes. Yeah. I don't know what anybody got. And that's the worst part, really. As a gift giver, you don't get to see the reaction. Yeah. And I love giving gifts that people really like. It's so awesome to like know you hit the nail on the head and right. watch the reaction. Yeah. And if you just all go crazy, then you can't even see the person's reaction. And you're just, it's a purely like selfish thing where it's just like, gimme, gimme, gimme. You know? Yeah. Which, I mean, some sucks. people, great. It works for you, but we are a take your turn. You know, Allison, I'm usually me and you are very like, you know, whatever works for you. But I think it's fucking crazy if you are one of those families that just go crazy and open up gifts. Like, how do you know who did what and if they're happy or whatever? Yeah, I wouldn't like it at all. I don't know who, like how many people, like what percentage of the population actually do that. I see it in movies. I don't even know if people do it. Is I don't it know. fake? Maybe it's just a movie thing. I mean, I know your brother always brings it up because he wants to give you a hard time and just say, let's rip into him. And you're like, no. <laughs> like you actually maybe have a breakdown like every year. And he's going to say it this year. And you're going to be like, no, no, no. Everyone likes messing with me because they get a reaction. Yes, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's like our son. Everyone likes messing with him because they get a reaction. <laughs> yes, it's a big reaction. And it's a lot. It's very much worth it. Um, but yeah, I, I will definitely start christmas shopping this week. mike they're not going to be delivered in time right. and There's odds are he's already bought these things i don't know i could be saying that and he's sitting here like nope let's just put it this way i have seen no deliveries other than mine at the door i have not seen him wrap any presents so it's very possible he has not gotten me a single thing yet and it is december what is today the 19th uh yeah yeah no, yeah 19th december 19th six days mm-hmm 
six we, days. We don't open until Christmas. Um, yeah. We do a lot of our family stuff Christmas Eve. Yes. So um, that'll be a good. So yeah. we'll see. But today I'm doing a lot of pre-cooking just to get ready because I work all week and then we host Christmas Eve. So I have to be on top of things. Yeah, I'm working all week too. It'll be nice to get you out of the house because last week you were a little overbearing uh, about things needed all the time constantly. That's and such a lie. I was home Monday, Tuesday. We came home from Chicago Monday and he's like, uh, when do you go back to work? <laughs> And I'm like, when do you want to be kicked in the balls? Now or later? Because I, I can him. just take care of it right now. I don't need them anymore. So it's, you can do whatever you want to them. They're so all. And you will be helping me today, correct, in the kitchen? Of course, yeah. And our daughter loves to help in the kitchen, too. And we've been over this before. That's not really legal to sit down in this house until nighttime. Here we go, folks. Yeah. So I'm, I guess I am a martyr, really. I'm taking it for a lot of people, for, for the person that would have had to take this job on. Oh, you poor baby. You. Yeah, yeah. I know. You've got it so rough. What are we making today? Cookies? We're making cookies. We're making crock pot stuff. We're doing an apple pie for Christmas, which I will freeze. Yeah, cream um, apple pie. Apple. Yeah, apple cream pie. It's my friend Leslie's family's recipe. Delicious. Um, And then, I don't know, I have a whole list of things that we have to pre-make. Literally? You made the list? Oh, I made a list. Okay, I mean, no, that makes sense. I'm the type of gal that lives by lists. I love a list. I love yeah. a good list, because then you know what needs to be done. Instead of like, oh, I don't know, what should I do next? If I don't get it on paper, it just stays swirling in my head, and I, then it gets ugly up there. I do the same for work. I like list things I need to get done for the day. Like, yeah, I mean, why not? Off. I like the checkbox, too. Oh, I get so satisfied by that check. Yeah, and then they're all done. You're like, okay, well, the day's mine. What else can we do here? So accomplished today. Yeah, that's what I think, too. So accomplished. <laughs> I'm so accomplished. Yeah, yeah. All uh, right. Anything else going on? No, just getting ready for Christmas. Yeah. That's about it. Well, hopefully everybody else out there is, too. And, and staying uh, safe for the holidays. Right, right. Well, without further ado, let me dive into my story here. Um I'm telling in a little different fashion. I, as you know, I like timelines. It seems that anytime I try to tell a story, I like the timeline version because then you know what happened when. And so if someone dies, I'm going to tell you at the time that they die and whatever. Also, the way that I took this one was from uh, Chicago Magazine. Um, so it does take place in Chicago. Oh, the and, Windy City. Yep. And um, they, they get a lot of quotes from a lot of different people. So it's not as important to know the people's names as far as, but it is what they're saying. So there's a lot of different investigators and nurses and fired fighters and stuff. But it, it kind of is an interesting way to tell the story. Interesting. Okay. So, um, just stay with me and you'll be fine. Okay. So tell me if you've ever heard of this. It's called uh, the Chicago Tylenol Murders. Uh, actually, yes, I have. But I don't know. The ones that I heard were not Tylenol. Uh-huh. It was a different medication. Really? Yeah, it was awful. People were just like, oh, I have a headache. And then within minutes, they were dead. Yeah, that's the Tylenol murders. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So that's what this is. Okay. Well, I don't know much detail. Yeah. So what's interesting is obviously we're from Chicago, and I do not recall this happening when we were there. Yeah, we were young. Um, So I'm going to start here. The the date is Wednesday, September 29th, 1982. Ah, well, that makes sense. We were three. Yeah. And um, yeah, we are from Chicago suburbs originally. So this was especially interesting to me. And yeah, I don't recall a lot of it, um, but there's another piece that i don't recall or that i do recall which happened before this so I don't interesting know. I'll get into okay it. so what was it september 29th yep september 29th 1982 the day so i'm gonna go through the timeline here 6 30 a.m okay. everything started mary kellerman she was 12 years old oh yep start start sucks to start with somebody so young she was in schaumburg a uh, suburb of chicago she woke up feeling sick and her parents kept her home from school and said no you should take some tylenol 
Yeah, because everybody, you know, you know, a lot of people that are just like, well, I'll take some ibuprofen, whatever it is, even if you're not necessarily running a fever or something. Just well, like, you don't feel well. I want to do something for you. Yeah, just some body aches or whatever. Yes. So her dad, Dennis Kellerman, said, I heard her go into the bathroom. I heard the door close. Then I heard something drop. Oh, my God. What a fucking nightmare. I went to the bathroom door. I called Mary. Are you okay? And there was no answer. I called again. Mary, are you okay? Still no answer. So I opened the bathroom door, and my little girl was on the floor unconscious. That's awful. She was still in her pajamas. So just, I mean, imagine that situation. No, I mean, you would think they must have, like, had an aneurysm or something. Right, right. Because you wake up not feeling well. Oh, maybe they weren't feeling well because they had a headache related to this developing aneurysm. I would never think it was associated with the Tylenol. That was the biggest part of this whole thing. It's like, who the hell would think it was any over-the-counter medication that everybody takes literally on a daily basis? All the time. Right. I, I've got cramps right now. I'm popping Advil here and there throughout the day. I right. don't ever think about the safety of it. You just assume it's safe. Right. Exactly. So then we go to a quote from a, a firefighter uh, that was on the scene. He said that one of the paramedics on the call with the Kellerman girl was Dave Spung. Dave was one of the best paramedics he'd ever met. He threw everything in that drug box at this young lady and nothing made a difference. Oh, my God. Yeah. So then we go to 9.56 a.m. Mary Kellerman is pronounced dead at the Alexian Brothers Medical Center in Elk Grove Village. Got it. So this happens very, very quickly. Um, There's going to be a few more of these here. Obviously, she had just closed the bathroom door. Yep. Yeah. It's like it's basically instantaneous. I mean, you hear a drop, a thud. It's like, how does it even get into your system that quickly? Uh, It's, you'll, I'll I'll tell you about it. Wow. See, those are the details I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I just know that there were medication that was tainted and it killed people. Right. Yep. So um, then we go to Edmund Donahue, uh, Deputy Chief Medical Examiner for Cook County. We're going to hear from him a lot. But again, don't worry about the names as much. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he said uh, she was the first victim. Our office was notified, but there wasn't anything too suspicious about that death, other than her age, obviously. Uh, She was ordered into the medical examiner's office for an autopsy because of her age and circumstances. So, yeah, obviously anybody under you know a certain age and... Well, you don't expect a 12-year-old to walk into the bathroom and drop dead. Exactly. So all these people had autopsies, and which is a good thing in this situation for sure. Next, we go to Nick Pichos, um, an investigator with Cook County's Medical Examiner's Office. He said, basically, the investigator did a phone investigation. You know, obviously, he's going to ask the dad and stuff what's going on. Uh, he interviewed the father, and the police go to the house to make sure it's the same story. Um, and a firefighter said, in what we call the ambulance report, the medications were listed as Tylenol. And everybody in the world took Tylenol, like mm-hmm. we were talking about. It didn't seem out of order at all. Okay, so then same day, we go to noon. Uh, It's currently 12 o'clock noon. Adam Janis, a 27-year-old postal worker in Arlington Heights, had taken a sick day. This is all going to start very similarly. He'd stayed home for work because he had felt like he was getting a cold. And then he went to pick up his kids from preschool and stopped at the grocery store, Jewel, uh, to get some Tylenol. He came home and they had some lunch and he said, I'm going to take two Tylenol and lie down. Oh, poor guy. And a couple minutes later, he came staggering into the kitchen and collapsed awful just they're they're all like very similar just like a couple and boom dead it's it's crazy uh so now those poor children are witnessing this right yep so we go from noon to 315 uh quote from thomas kim a medical director of northwest community hospitals intensive care unit he said our first job is to resuscitate and we couldn't even do that so when he came in (laughs) same with the paramedics Mm -hmm. he couldn't do it either yep his heart was just would not resuscitate 
I signed Janice out as probably a cardiac death. He was kind of a bigger guy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Arlington Heights and Schaumburg are how far apart from each other? These are all suburbs we know. Pretty close. Um, mm-hmm. But like maybe 20 minutes or something. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to be a matter of putting the dots together because yeah. obviously a 12-year-old in Schaumburg versus a 27, you know, you're not linking that up, obviously. Yeah, and... I mean, even today, it's not like these police departments are constantly contacting each other no. about it. You know, I mean, it's it's not like, oh, we got a death here, so look for this death. You're not expecting that. Until they start to really multiply. Then you're like, what the hell is going on? That everyone's dying in the same fashion. Yeah, unexplained, and hopefully you find what it is. You can say, okay, is mm-hmm. there any link between these? Exactly. Um, but yeah, he said, I was talking to this family, explaining and trying to explain what had happened. It's hard even if you know the diagnosis. Uh, but in this case, I was trying to tell them we didn't know why. Uh, Adam's wife, Teresa, was there. His parents were there and a whole slew of other people. And they didn't go back to their home. They went back to the Janice house in Arlington Heights. So, you know, he's, he's a doctor. And doctors pride themselves on knowing things and figuring things out. You know, they're smart people. And in this case, he's just like, I, I can't tell you definitively that it was this. It was probably his heart. You know I mean? It, sure. What you happens a lot. would expect. Yeah. And that happens a lot in practicing medicine. You know, that's, that's exactly what it is at practice. And then we go to 3.45 p.m. Uh, Mary Lynn Reiner, 27, is at home in Winfield, another suburb. She had recently given birth to her fourth child. Not feeling well. She takes some Tylenol and collapses. Jesus. So Mary's husband, Ed Reiner, said... We were together for a long time. She was an excellent mother. We had four children. The baby was a week old. I came right home after she had fallen on the floor. Um, An ambulance came and rushed her to the hospital. I'm not going to say a whole lot more than that. So he was obviously shaken. Um, Can you imagine just having, you know, these kids and uh, you're a brand new mother, which is hard enough as it is. And obviously she's taking Tylenol because it's really hard being a mother of four. Well, it's not just that, but that's, you know, after you've given birth, sometimes there can be some, you know, trauma down there. I I was actually prescribed Percocet when I gave birth because Cameron's head was over a hundredth percentile. I was teeny tiny and things didn't go well down there. (laughs) So it's where we learned the term of vag pack. Vag pack. We learned that quickly. Yeah, I guess it's a medical term for absorbing blood within the vaginal So area. my vag was packed for about 12 hours. That's how bad the trauma was. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, if it, who knows, maybe she had a C-section. There's aches and pains associated with giving birth. It's very normal to need pain medication. Yep. And you said this was her fourth child? Yes. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Now this poor man is a widower and has a week old baby with three other children in the house. Yeah. You're like, what the hell do I do? Right. Right, exactly. He's just and a wife that collapsed dead. Yeah, it's like, a young wife. Right, and that, that that's the same situation for anybody that's you know alone at that age. But it's just amazing, hitting a lot of people in a lot of different areas here. Um, next at five p.m., we're gonna hear from uh, Nurse Helen Jensen. She's a big part of this whole thing. Um, she said the Janice family was all at Adam's house. Uh, this was back in you know the Janice, so we're over we're we're past um, Mary Lynn Reiner, but back to the Janice family. The, um, the bigger guy. That, yeah, okay. the 27-year-old guy Yep, that was getting a cold, yep. picked his kids up from preschool. Correct. So she said the Janice family was all at Adam's house, planning the funeral and mourning together, as you would expect. I mean, they're already together. May as well go back home and try to figure this whole thing out. Adam's younger brother, Stanley Janice, had some chronic back pain. Oh, my gosh. So you know where this is going. Two people in one family, a brother, two brothers. Just wait. And he asked his wife, 
they had been married for just a, over a little while, and her name was also Teresa, so different Teresa, but uh, to get him some Tylenol. And she came out and gave him two Tylenol, and then she took two Tylenol. Oh, my God. The husband and wife? Yep. So then he went down, then she went down. Okay, now something's going on. Three people in one family just went down in one day. And I really think this was the reason they kind of figured it out. Sure, I it mean, definitely sounds like it. This like this doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. This was the, the kind of the big one. Like, what the fuck? Like, this is crazy. That's like, people are dropping literally like flies. Right. Exactly. So we go to Charles Kramer, the lieutenant with the Arlington Heights Fire Department. That's another suburb. Uh, he said, "When I arrived at the house, there were cars and people everywhere." All eight of my men were working, four of them on one man and four of them on a woman. Everything that would happen to the man happened to the woman just a few minutes later. Mm -hmm. So convulsions and, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but uh, just just crazy scene. We go back to Dr. Kim. He says, as I was putting on my blue blazer to leave around 530 for the day, a nurse told me that they were bringing the Janice family back. So he's like, what? He's like, huh? Yeah. He's like, well, it's probably the parents, you know, they're older, they're really upset, you know. So he, he said, well, it's probably the parents because they were f- feeble and they might have been very upset. And the nurse said, no, it's his brother. I've been talking to the six foot healthy guy. And I said, well, what happened? Did he faint? And she said, they're doing CPR and they're working on his wife, too. And that's when I took my blazer off. Of so he's like, shit's about to get real. And I'm assuming they're probably in their 20s, early 30s, because, mm-hmm. you know, Adam was 27. Yeah. All in the same area. Yeah. Yep. So we go back to Nurse Jensen. She said, I got a phone call in the middle of the dinner with Chuck Kramer of the Arlington Heights Fire Department. And he said, there's something going on here. We had a death this morning, and now we brought in two more from the same house. And they went a public health person there, and you're the only public health person I know. So I dropped everything and went right to the hospital. This was like, you know, obviously she wasn't on on, you know, on, on the, the schedule or anything, but it's like, this is something I know yeah, about. You I, gotta, we got to figure this you gotta out. You got to get involved. Yeah. And this is getting worse before it's getting better. Mm-hmm. So... She seems pretty awesome. Just, you know, went right into it. We go back to uh, Deputy Medical medical Examiner Donahue. He says, at the time, I lived two blocks away from the medical examiner's office, and I just happened to come back to pick something up. I walked through the investigations area, and one of the guys said, doctor, we've got something unusual going on. We had this family in Arlington Heights where one person died, then the brother and sister-in-law came over, and now the brother is dead, and the sister-in-law is in very serious condition and not expected to live. Yeah. So... Nurse Jensen, back to her. Uh, there was this poor, lonely lady standing off in the corner and turned out to be Teresa, Adam Janice's wife. I asked her to tell me exactly what had happened that morning and what had happened all day. I asked a lot of questions. I'm a nurse, and you don't get answers if you don't ask questions. You're basically like an investigator, really, in the medical field. Yeah. To get they, answers, you are. And they're all trying to do the same thing because it's so crazy. They're just like, what? Like, yeah, I mean, you're, you're pointing to anything. Well, and any it, could, it could be anything. It could be the milk. It could be... And at this time, were they thinking poison? Um, they had no idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really had no idea. Because you wouldn't think it would be anything within a body right. that's causing the exact same symptoms. You have to think it's something external. Right. And then you have worry, like, is it the water source? Yes. Like, is the whole town going to start dropping? It could be anything. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. And that's why we go to this investigator, Pichos. He's, uh, he's a big part of this whole thing, too. He said, when I first got to the hospital, I found nobody really knew how this was happening. I asked Dr. Kim what he thought, and he said, we don't know. Like, you go to the doctor, I don't know. And then you go to the nurse, I don't know. Like, nobody knew. Did Adam's wife know that Adam took the Tylenol, and was she in the room when the brother said, I'm going to take some, and then the wife said, I'm going to take some? I know that she knew he took the Tylenol, so we get into that a little bit Okay, sorry. No, that's okay. That's a great question. Um, 
so the investigator said, well, let's go back to the house and try to see what's out of the ordinary. Because, I mean, he's expecting to go there and be like, okay, this is probably what it is. You know, you get a few, then they brought the nurse, they brought you know, pretty much everybody they could to see if there's something that would like click. Right. You know? And you want to find this out quick because you don't want more people to die. Exactly. So meanwhile, um, while they're on their way over to the house at 6.30 p.m., another story here, <laughs> um, at an Illinois Bell store in Lombard, which I imagine is like a phone store of some sort mm-hmm. at this time, uh, Mary McFarland, a 31-year-old resident of Elmhurst, tells her coworkers she has a terrible headache. Um, she went in the back room and took some Tylenol and within minutes on the floor. Mm-hmm. Same. Yep. Um, we go to John Milner, the commander of detectives at Elmhurst Police Department. He said, I didn't know her, but I knew her dad. It was just so sad he lost a daughter like that. Somehow it was suspected that she had ingested something bad, poison or something. Yeah, of course. Right. Because it's like totally fine. Totally fine. A little Oh, headache. I have a headache. How many of us say that every day? Yeah. And I, you, well, like you said, aneurysm is the first right, thing. Right. You every, do, of course. Because it's quick. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So then we go to 8 p.m. Um, investigators finally arrive at the Janice house. And they try to find some kind of connection. Like I said, they're expecting to walk in and get a pretty good idea of what happened. Be like, okay, well, let's follow this lead or something like that. Uh, I don't know. Carbon monoxide probably wasn't a big thing then back in the 80s. Um, didn't have a ton of technology. You know, it's uh, And you wouldn't think carbon monoxide because everybody else in the house is fine. Right, right. I mean, they're, they're thinking anything. Like you said, could be milk, water. I, could, I don't know. It could be anything. They walked in. They still had no idea, basically. Nurse Jensen said, I looked and didn't see anything that could possibly be a contaminant. There was a shelf full of over-the-counter medications and some prescription drugs. I mean, the big question would be, did anyone see them take anything? Right. Because I don't know within, it sounds like within minutes of ingestion. Right. They're Uh, going down. Yep. Um, And they're looking at anything. One investigator went into the basement, found that they did some metal working. Somebody had mentioned that sometimes in metalworking, they use cyanide for polishing. Mm-hmm. So we looked around, just wanted to make sure there was nothing in the basement they had been in contact with, couldn't find anything of that nature. So they're just baffled here. Then Nurse Jensen found a bottle of Tylenol with six capsules missing and three people dead. Mm-hmm. Two, four, six. Yep. In her mind, it had to be something to do with Tylenol. So she's just like, okay. Like, she made up her mind. She's like, this This has got to be it. Let's focus on this. Yeah, and as horrible as the Janice family murder killings or, you know, deaths. Well, there was a murder. Yeah, ab- absolutely. As as horrible as that is, like, thank God they all had it at the same time because I think that, you know, really helped the entire situation. And like, who knows how many other people in different suburbs would have died. Well, just wait here. Um, and of course, there was no protective sealing on this or any over the counter drugs at this time. Okay. Um, they just had a cotton piece of t- piece of cotton tucked in there. So anyone could manipulate. Yep. You know that annoying piece of cotton that everybody hates, and that's all that was in Boy, there. Boy, that's the super protective, and all that's doing is keeping the pills from rattling. Right. Right. So they went back to the hospital and took the bottle with them. Okay. So eight fifteen p.m. Stanley Janice is pronounced dead at the Northwest Community Hospital. Um, Nine thirty p.m. And I'm just going to tell you as they're announced dead and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, 9.30 p.m. Totally different person. After landing at O'Hare from Las Vegas, Paula Prince, a 35-year-old flight attendant with United Airlines, stops at the Walgreens at 1601 North Well Street to buy some Tylenol. This is in Chicago. That's in the city. So we're really, you know, dotted around the su- Chicago suburbs here. Yeah. Crazy. It's like it's there's not like a, a clear connection outside of the area. I mean, mm-hmm. the general Chicago area. Right. Um. 10 p.m. 
Um, so that was just a quick little quip. She took some Tylenol at 9.30. Mm-hmm. Um, or not even then, she bought it, and she would take it eventually. Um, at 10 p.m., investigators, Nurse Jensen and Dr. Kim, were in a small room near the ER to look at any evidence they had gathered. They're all kind of looking at each other like, I don't even know what we're looking at here. Like, this grab stuff. You know, they're like, what? what is this? What? And there's no, like, clear lead as far as they're concerned until Nurse Jensen steps up. Yeah, and saw the Tylenol. She plopped down the bottle of Tylenol and said, this is the cause. Mm-hmm. She's like, this is it, man. We need to test this ASAP. Yep. And of course, nobody would believe her, even after she stomped her feet. So she actually stomped her feet. She's like, this is <laughs> You're it. You're testing these pills. Right, right. And they said, oh, no, it couldn't be. It couldn't be. It's Tylenol. Like, it's, you know, the the it's almost like it's Occam's razor kind of a situation where it's the it's the easiest explanation. Right, but you don't believe it. Right. And it's just like, no, like, you know, the doctor's trying to wrap his mind. He's just like, this guy really felt like he should have figured it out. And I feel bad for him. You know, he's like, just has no idea. And the investigator, same thing. He's like, there should be something that I'm, as my profession, I should be able to point it out. Right. And help these people. But he's just like, no, I can't figure it out. And this nurse comes in like, damn it, like this is the stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why would you think it would be Tylenol? But why would you think it'd be anything, you right. know? Right. Yeah. So, and I quote from Dr. Kim here, he thought, well, that's fine. But at the time, this was just someone saying that. <laughs> so I was like, well, I mean, it's It's nurse. all, it's going to come from somebody saying it. Right. That's where it's going to come from. Right. Uh, he was, well, like, is it a problem at this point that a female nurse is the one that found it? I don't, is that where we're going? That's not where we're going. Test the fucking pills. <laughs> but it could be. I mean, it's it's about. It sounds like it's possible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm a doctor. I should have found it. it. Was step down. We found something. It doesn't matter who you are and what you do. Test the pills because people are dying. Right. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, he was pacing in his office. I kept going on in my systemic way. What is likely or not likely? All it came down to was cyanide. But I said, no, where? Where was the exposure? The only way he could test was to check the blood for cyanide. And they didn't normally do that in the hospital because it wasn't a normal thing. So, no, we're not normally poisoning people. Right. So he sent the blood samples away to get uh, tested. He asked some doctors around him and stuff. And he said he thinks he talked to a doctor who said, I know a testing center for cyanide. Mm-hmm. So send it here. So he did that. And I'm going to have a quote from an investigator, Pichos. He said, the other bottle from earlier in the day from the little girl. For some reason, the paramedics in Elk Grove Village had inventoried it and held on to it. And I had the police department in Elk Grove Village bring it to me at the hospital. When I got the Tylenol bottles, I looked and saw the control numbers were the same. Mm. I reported back to the medical examiner's office and I said, look, everything here is different except this. Both have Tylenol bottles and they both have the same control number, MC2880. Eventually, they looked at all the pills and they were confused because they didn't all come from the same production facility. Within the same bottle? Yeah. No, um, different bottles. Okay. Oh, yeah. I see. It. Okay. Same control number, but different facilities. Yeah. So Interesting. They just happen to have the same control number. I don't okay. even know what a control number is, but they I don't weren't know. from the same facility. None of these were from the same facility. Weird. Yeah. They were from different places. So essentially what they found out was it didn't happen at the production level. Okay. So somebody was fucking with these things. Outside of there. Yes. Like maybe in the store itself. Correct. Exactly. So the deputy, and they're all different stores too. I mean, one was a grocery store. Walgreens. Yep. And then, you know, who's standing in an aisle of Jewel manipulating pills and putting cyanide in them? Well, what they thought was that the person would buy it or shoplift it or whatever. Put it in their pocket, take it out, fill all the pills. At this time, they were capsules. Okay, so where you could, could separate them. Exactly. So you could pull them apart, fill them up, put them back together. Then they would come back to the store and put it back on the oh, shelf. Oh, God. So that's 
as far as I know, like from all this investigation, that's exactly how it happened. Got it. Now, the other thing is cyanide is like it'll eat through these capsules, the gelatin capsules. Huh. So it had to be done like very recently. Shortly. Yes, exactly. Like a day or two before at the most. Otherwise, they would just probably spill out. Yeah. And you would know right away. Right. Like something was wrong. Wow. So it was like the perfect storm. Right. But obviously, if it's at the front of the thing, people are probably buying Tylenol all day. Right now, right yeah, now, exactly. they're buying Tylenol and you know whatever aspirin. And disgusting. Yep. So um, we go back to the deputy deputy medical examiner. Uh, he's told them over the phone to open the bottles and to smell them. Oh, I don't know what cyanide smells like. I didn't know till this either. Okay. So investigator Pichos says, "I opened them up. I looked inside. I poured them out. Nothing looked out of the ordinary." Looked like totally normal Tylenol capsules. Mm-hmm. Um, however, as I was pouring them out of the bottles, I could tell there was a strong smell of almonds. Almonds. I do remember that because I like almond, like mm-hmm. almond um, pastries and almond extract. Yes. So I remember thinking that. Oh, champagne too. The almond champagne we had at Cooper's Hawk. Mm-hmm. Delicious if you haven't tried it. Yes, it's amazing. Um, and then I opened the second bottle and I said, you know, the first one smells like the second one. Almonds. Mm-hmm. So, and do they know that cyanide smells like almonds? Well, because this the investigator called this medical examiner, they're trying to figure it out, and that's why the medical examiner goes, Smell the bottle. Oh, okay, so he knows what yeah, to look for exactly. He's basically looking for cyanide, okay. And um, the medical examiner says, I was very lucky because the investigator was able to smell the cyanide, only about half the population can smell it. Interesting, which was I thought fascinating. And they both said it at the same time cyanide okay so boom we know yep so now we know it's cyanide it's in these pills now we need to get a public alert out saying do not take tylenol who knows how many freaking bottles are out there halt any consumption of tylenol immediately and who knows if it's all across the usa right we don't know it could be a syndicate or whatever some really crazy i have chills just thinking about how far this could have spread Uh, this is basically the biggest story in the nation very shortly here you know and it had it been someone within the production facility it would have been that much worse because then it would have been widespread right and you think back how scary like all these people that have this power yes i mean you know and so you know right i'm sure there's very big security measures that go into all this stuff you know as far as these production facilities but this is a horrible situation but number one thing is like alert the whole population in every way to just not ingest tylenol right and so and then tylenol is probably freaking out absolutely we're gonna hear from them shortly um, well, not probably freaking out. Tylenol is freaking out. Right, right. So this is really quick. You know, I wondered, how do you die on cyanide? You brought that up. Mm-hmm. You know, why? The deputy medical examiner, Donahue, he says, cyanide is a chemical as- asphyxiant. It blocks the utilization of oxygen by red blood cells. So even if you're in an atmosphere with plenty of oxygen. Mm-hmm, as we all are. Yep. Uh, you can breathe it in all you want, but it doesn't get picked up by the red blood cells and so you asphyxiate. You're just choking to death. Correct. So you're that's just... why you can't even resuscitate somebody. Yep. It causes brain damage and cardiac arrest. Jesus. It happens very quickly. Obviously, these people, it's like, did we say minutes? Um, yeah. It's usually, yeah, 20, 30, 45, maybe an hour or two. Okay. So it's not instantaneous because it sounded like. A lot of these are, though. With Mary's case at 6.30 a.m., the 12-year-old, she closed the door and her father heard a drop. Well, it's it depends how much you take. So, you know, how much your blood... It, and she's little. Right, exactly. So, yes, these were probably very close. I mean, right away, the body shuts down because it can't process the oxygen that mm-hmm. it needs to move the muscles and the brain and Ugh. everything. So, you're basically being choked to death. Even though you have access to plenty of oxygen, your red blood cells can't process you're it. You're not accepting it. Yeah. So, this goes right into Dr. Kim. Uh, 1 a.m., 
So now we're in Thursday, September 30th. Like this okay. whole span of shit. So this is a day. Yeah. This all has happened in one day, right? Now we're overnight. You know, it's 1 a.m. Dr. Kim said, I got the lab reports back. It was a massive amount of cyanide. Okay. But obviously it's all packed into two capsules. You know, I I have no idea how cyanide is dosed, where you get it from. What do we use cyanide for? Well, I was going to look into all that, but I didn't want to be on an FBI like watch list. I'm just very curious, like, is cyanide mostly used for, like, back in war days when you would have, like, your kill pill? Like, if you were in a situation where you were held hostage, you would just take that pill that was tucked into your pocket? Like, do we still use cyanide now? Well, like, I, mean, I didn't, honestly, I didn't want to, like, I knew I'd go down a rabbit hole, and I'm serious when I said I didn't want to be on a on this watch list. I'm curious, though. I'm going to look into it, so I might become on a watch list, but. Yeah, that's, well, I guess our, our house is going either way i mean yeah in the murder um podcast business you're probably gonna be on some kind of watch list either way yeah probably but i was just like man because i, I want to know can i buy it online like can i look at it like how hard is it to get like all these things and i'm like i know the google search would just put me on the list right away well i guess my big question is why do we have cyanide like what are we using it for i know it naturally occurs in lots of things mm-hmm. like apple seeds and um almonds i think they are in almonds okay obviously. yeah i know i know it, nothing yeah just a very very trace amount of it like very very, very, very obviously small. otherwise we'd be dying correct we'd be we'd be like these poor people here um but yeah he said it was a massive amount of cyanide about a 100 to a thousand times more than was okay necessary. so obviously they are tiny tiny doses because we all know what the size of two tylenol look like yeah tiny so it's whatever those granules fit into two capsules is considered to be a massive amount yep hence the fact that people were just dropping yep super deadly so now we're at 3 15 a.m uh, Mary McFarland is pronounced dead at Good Samaritan Hospital in Downers Grove. Uh, 9.30 a.m., Mary Reiner is pronounced dead at Central DuPage Hospital. So obviously these people were dead probably long before. Sure. Um, just to you know, officially pronounce dead. Uh, then we go to Bill Reiser, the sergeant with the Winfield Police Department. He said, we weren't quite sure at the time exactly what had happened. We knew Reiner was dead, but I don't think initially we realized until the other investigations came to light with the other towns that there was a connection. They're all linked. Yeah. And like I mentioned earlier, it's like, you know, in the meantime, you know, obviously you have the one that was had the Janice family. So they were on, you know, a hot trail. These other places are like, I don't know. Like they're mm-hmm. still in the same boat. Right. Because like, I mean, hospitals have 30 something year olds that do come in, just drop. That happens. Yep. So like you mentioned, uh, we're going to deputy medical, medical examiner Donahue at about 10 in the morning, an attorney from Johnson and Johnson, the parent company of Tylenol's mm-hmm. manufacturer, shows up in our offices. So trying to do damage control and figure yeah. out, okay, what the hell, like, what do we have to prepare for here? Because, I mean, if it's coming from internally in their company, they're fucked. Right. I mean, you're done. You can't help somebody standing in a grocery store that's manipulating your pills that have already been produced and shipped. Right. It's not their fault. So it's, number one, where is this coming from? Who is doing this? How is it happening? Right. So they, he said, we took them up. He, we took them up to the lab. And the toxicologist explained what we had found with the cyanide and everything. He was there about half an hour and left. As he could see, once we found cyanide and Tylenol, there was no way we could not release that information. Oh, I don't care, Johnson & Johnson. Like, this is getting released yeah. because people are falling to the ground all over the suburbs. And he just wanted to do his due diligence to be like, okay. And that's why he was. it was only a half hour. It was like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. We have to do this. Yeah, we have to get this out this there. This sucks. Our, our business could be ruined, but the obviously the general public and their health is more important. Yep. So now we go to the CEO of Cook County's medical examiner's office, uh, Roy Dames. 
He said, my first reaction was, let's make sure there's no other connection between these deaths before we go and tell people to not take Tylenol. Um, so they proved it to me, and I said, okay, great, let's go. It's Tylenol. Let's tell the people. Well, and we already know that at least three people have died from the Tylenol that's been poisoned with cyanide. Right. So I think that in itself warrants a public announcement. Yep, exactly. He said, I believe I talked to the CEO of the company that made Tylenol, and I informed him that we were going to have a press conference. And his reaction was, do you have to? Yes. And I said, well, do you have a better idea? And he said, no. No, of course not. Yeah, so this is it. Uh, we go back to Nurse Jensen here. She said, I hardly slept because I was so concerned about it. I was angry about it, and I was sure I was in da- uh, it was a danger. Of course. So my husband was getting ready for work, and he woke me up, and he said, Helen, they're saying it was the Tylenol. Okay, so, so you hit the nail on the head, girl. Yeah, she's like, yeah, I knew it. Mm-hmm. She knew it, <laughs> hence the stomping of the feet. That's you, Dr. Kim. And I'm glad that she was strong-willed and said, it's the Tylenol. Right, got it in their heads. You know, if they would have had a meek person that was like, okay, doctor. Yeah. No, I mean, to be a nurse, you got to be pretty strong-willed, to, you know, hopefully. Yeah. Um, you got to tell go these patients. Against, yeah. <laughs> and the, yeah, the doctors. Be and, advocates. Exactly. So now we go to 10 a.m. Deputy Medical Examiner Donahue says, um, I held a press conference to tell the people in the area that they had found cyanide and Tylenol and to warn them that there might be an, uh, a danger. That if they had any, it was probably a good idea, at least for a while, not to take it. No. And then the question is, they're saying in the area, but at this point, they don't know if it's widespread across the country or the world. Yep, exactly. They weren't saying it should be recalled, but they thought that the community needed to be warned. So at this time, I, I looked at some stories and stuff, um, and people were saying, I was alive at the time. I was a kid. I remember people coming through neighborhoods with bullhorns saying, yes. do not take Tylenol. Do not take your Tylenol. <laughs> That's the mindset I have right now is like, we need people to know, do not take. Because in the minutes that they're like making these decisions, people could be dropping. Right. They're thinking everybody could be dying. Like we could have millions of people. Yes. Because we don't know at this point what the situation is. Correct. Exactly. Uh, Nurse Jensen said, I called our police department and said, you've got to get Tylenol off the shelves. Like she couldn't think of anything else. She's like, just get Tylenol off the shelves. The cops mm-hmm. are like, oh, we can't do that. Like, yes, you can. It, you go in there, you take your hand on the shelf and you sweep it into a bin. This is an emergency situation. I mean, people are dying from it. So oh, let's I'd be out. flipping out. And she goes, oh, yes, you can. And then she had the deputy, uh, med- the deputy chief was there and he said, go ahead, do it. Because, I mean, this is a, a dire situation right now. Well, and all the, like, bulletins need to go out to the places that sell the Tylenol saying, like, you have to remove these from your shelves immediately. Right. Exactly. Um, 3 p.m., Johnson & Johnson announces the recall of all Tylenol from lot MC2880. But how do we know it's just that lot? We don't. We they're, don't. They're trying to limit it and just, <laughs> you know, be specific for right now for all they know. The word is don't take Tylenol, yeah. not just this lot number. Don't take Tylenol. Johnson & Johnson is saying MC280. Everybody else is like Tylenol. Don't touch it. Yeah. Um, not worth it. We go back to medical examiner CEO Dames. Uh, he said, I spent the rest of the day on the phone. You answer and it's people worried who had taken Tylenol. Simple answer is if you're talking to me right now, you're fine. Don't worry, but don't take any more. Yeah, because obviously you would have already had your symptoms and been likely dead. Yep. Actually, you would have been dead. It became clear early on this was something that was not only a terrible crime, but capable of repetition. It was obvious very early on this was going to require a lot of people to do what had to be done. We'll have to ask our parents if they recall this. Oh, we have. I'm, I'm sure they will. I mean, this sounds like it was like an absolute tizzy. Yeah. I mean, this was all over the news, especially in Chicago, but all across the nation mm-hmm. and even the world. I'm going to mention that in a, in a moment here. Uh, then we go to Friday, October 1st, 11 a.m., Attorney General Foner 
said, in a conference room at the Attorney General's office in Chicago, I pulled together the state police, the local law enforcement people, chiefs of police, director of Illinois State Police, basically anyone who might touch it from a law enforcement angle. Got the feds involved too, FBI, because um, we didn't know how big it was to think, wow, this is not only in Illinois, but maybe elsewhere. Mm-hmm, they I mean, don't know. Yeah. one fifteen p.m., Teresa Janice has taken off life support at Northwest Community oh. Hospital and pronounced dead. Unfortunately. Sad. Yep. Sounds like there was just no going back from that kind of poison. No. I mean, you're as soon as it's in your body, you're done. Well, like you said, brain dead. Yep. 5 p.m. Because the oxygenation can't get to your brain, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, 5 p.m., that flight attendant I mentioned earlier, yeah. Paula Prince, um, police discovered her body in her old town apartment at 1540 North LaSalle Aww. Street. Um Joan Ahern, a United flight attendant in front of hers, said her sister was supposed to meet her for dinner and she wasn't answering her telephone. That sort of alerted her sister that something's not right. Right. And what I, what I understand is that she was due back out that Friday and she was a no-show for her flight. So, I mean, it was days. Right. Oh, that poor thing. Yeah. Paula was blonde, vivacious, had a gorgeous smile. That guy stole all her dreams, her life, her future. Ugh. He just destroyed it all. Just poof, one pill. Well, she's a 30-something-year-old flight attendant that has access to flying around the world and experiencing life, takes a couple of friggin' pills for a headache, and then you're done. Yep. Awful. Just as soon as you were sitting there, you're dead. I mean, it's... I just always think about it because I'm definitely one of those people that, like, I'm not against taking medication when it's necessary. If I have a headache, I'm going to try to drink water, okay? Maybe my hair ties a little too tight. But if all that fails, I am popping to Advil. Like, that's just my MO. Right. Because that's why the pills are there. Do we want to be careful and dose properly? Yes, of course. But if somebody was going to be dropping from, you know poisoning it'd be me because i'm like yep i'm taking two. Oh, and then back in the day you used to take about eight advil to well, get rid of your cramps i it was debilitating oh yeah i don't blame you but then i found a natural supplement with chase berry and dong kwai sponsored I, by dong kwai it's called uh, go with the flow huh. if you have terrible cramps and pms symptoms i'm telling you it's two natural herbs that like help make your life bearable yeah and i will say you've been more um easier to deal with um since taking this. yeah yeah I mean, it's like a big problem in girls' lives, you know, with these cramps. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, well, let's get back to the Tylenol. We'll get back to the Tylenol. Sorry, folks. Yeah. I got off. I'm, I'm very passionate about this. You are, it's no. made my quality of life better. Hey, if it helps people, absolutely. I'm yeah. all for it. Okay. Anyway, back back no, to you, Mike. That's okay. Um, so now we'll go to Richard Brzezek, the superintendent of the Chicago Police Department. He said her family, this is about the flight attendant, her family couldn't reach her and they called the Chicago Police to do what was called a well-being check. Mm-hmm. Basically, it made me think of Home Alone. Yeah. <laughs> Can you go when, check on my son? Uh, Kevin's home alone. Yeah. And I'll tell you what they found. The Tylenol bottle was still sitting open on the vanity. She took it to the bathroom. She took it in the bathroom. And by the time she got to the threshold of the door, she was dead. She didn't even make it out of the bathroom. Right. That's how quickly. So we're not talking 25, 30, 45 minutes. We're talking less than a minute, maybe two. Yeah, exactly. Unbelievable. I can't even like fathom. Because I wouldn't even think it would dissolve out of its shell quickly enough. But like you said, it was very precarious because it could have just dissolved in the bottle had it not been purchased. Right. So it was probably partially dissolved already. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a security camera at Walgreens. That's what I was going to ask you. Please tell me there are security cameras at the stores in 1982 that show some piece of shit with his fingers in the bottle. Or taking it to the register, I guess. So there was security cameras, but 
way less than they have now. And there was only at the entrance. Okay. And then one other thing is, like you said, they were purchasing this medication and taking it home. And that's where the manipulation was happening. That's what they're guessing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could have happened in the store, but I mean, you'd do a much Mm. better job, at least at the very least, taking it out of the store and filling it at like just in your car and putting it back. I mean, it's somebody's going to notice you're doing something with pills in the store. So yeah, most likely bought it, took it out, brought it back in. Um, But the camera took some still photos of Paula Prince walking up to the cash register and making her Tylenol purchase. You know, buying her death warrant right there. They were eerie. But there weren't any security cameras in the aisles to see if someone was putting it up on a shelf. Mm -hmm. There is a picture out there of a bearded man that was kind of behind her. They think he had something to do with it at some point. I don't know why, because it's like, why would he still be there? Maybe he was watching to see who would take the the pills. Like a satisfaction, knowing he's watching that person take the bottle he just put back up there. Sick. Yeah, and it's still, not, you know, it's it, it's something, there. not a lot of information is known on this bearded man, but a lot of people seem to point to this guy hmm. for some reason. Because this is just one of the locations that were affected. I'm sure they're looking at still photos in other locations. The person or people went to every one of these locations. Of course. Yeah, so... Something weird. Now, did they have cameras in other locations like the Jewel Osco and blah, blah, blah? They Maybe they did, but nothing, like no high definition detail. Okay. So this bearded man was only seen in this particular store. Correct. Okay. Yep. Deputy Medical Examiner Donahue says she took them on Wednesday night. And I remember thinking that she was already dead by the time we went on television for our press conference. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, don't take Tylenol. But she was lying dead mm-hmm. on her. You know, it's like, damn, if we just a little bit yep. earlier, you know, obviously everybody's going to question themselves. So now we go to 8 p.m. At the time, the mayor of Chicago was Jane Byrne. Remember her name? Yeah. Um, she was informed that there was a Tylenol death in their city. So this was the in the city of Chicago, the one in the city. So now Chicago is involved, one of the biggest cities in the nation. She was walking out of a retirement party at Navy Pier in Chicago. Um, the driver of the car came up and said, there's an urgent message for the mayor. Call the office. So this is an emergency right mm-hmm. away. So she jumps into the car. We called the office, and they explained the preliminary thoughts and what was a disaster. They knew at the time that Paula Prince had a headache and took Tylenol and then died. And it was like, oh, my God, there's a million people out there. Yeah. Just like me and you were talking about. I mean, imagine all the apartments and the people just stacked upon each other who could be at risk for taking this medication. You're picturing right now, we're going to start getting calls all over the place. This is going to be crazy. As you're having this conversation, people could be popping these pills. Yep. Um, Deputy Medical Examiner Donahue said, with the Janice family, we got the toxicologist out of bed. You know, mm-hmm. it was the first time in the history of the office, as far as he can remember, that he had come in overnight and done analysis. And when they found Paula Prince, he was called back to do it again. Yeah. So it's like twice in one night. Like mm-hmm. you're back. To, you got to test this again. Uh, Mayor Jane Byrne, we go back to her. She said, what was on my mind was how many others? We called the superintendent of police, the commissioner of the fire department, and the doctor in charge of the board of health. We had them meet at the symphony center in the back room because that's where she was scheduled to be. So she's like, let's all get together here. I thought, well, we've got to prepare. We ordered flyers printed, particularly in foreign languages, because, you know, obviously they do as much as they can on the news and radio and stuff, but people in foreign languages aren't necessarily listening to English-speaking things. Uh, We planned everything to make sure that the public was notified. That was phase one. So I went down to my office. We were waiting on all these different sources to give us information. More and more was coming in, and there was no doubt that somebody had tainted the Tylenol. 11 p.m., Mayor Byrne was all set to make a press announcement about finding Paula Prince. 
And it was at that press conference that the announcement was made they were going to pull all the Tylenol off the shelves. Mm-hmm. Now is now just in Chicago or across the U.S.? Just and, in Chicago at okay. this time because she's only responsible for Chicago. But very shortly, I mean, hours mm-hmm. later. And obviously, hospitals are being notified if you have patients coming in with these symptoms, this needs to be alerted. Right. Yep. All over the place. Now we go to Monday, October 4th. The city, the Chicago City Council passes an ordinance with the mayor's help requiring tamper-resistant packaging for all drugs sold in stores. And that's what I was going to say. Obviously, this spurred all of that packaging to this, be changed. Now, were other reason. companies um, tamper-resistant at this point, or was that just like not, that just didn't happen? No, it didn't happen. Yeah. Okay. So, really, 1982 is when all of the packaging for medications was changed. Yep. Exactly. This was the reason. Like, the wow. reason we have tamper-resistant is this case. Um so Johnson and Johnson and the FDA came up with the foil tamper resistant seal many companies use today. Mm-hmm. Um, also, instead of capsules, most drugs are now in caplet form. Yeah, which makes sense. I always wondered that. I was a kid. I was like, well, yeah, those capsules were kind of cool. You can take uh-huh. them apart and, you know, put it on the paper, you know, whatever. And like that makes complete sense. Right. Like, now it's all packed into like a compounded you know, caplet. That can't be manipulated. Yep. So now we go to Tuesday, October 5th. Johnson & Johnson recalls all Tylenol products nationwide. Mm-hmm. So this all happens very quickly here. Yeah. Um, 31 million bottles valued at more than $100 million of product. Man alive. I bet you um, Johnson & Johnson was affected by this for a long time because people were probably very scared and, you know, rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. They were. Um, I have the numbers here, actually. They, I'll, I'll come across it at some point, but I think the, the, the market share went from like... 40% to like 7%. Yeah, basically. and that doesn't surprise me. And, you know, it's just crazy because this person, the sicko, just randomly chose Tylenol. They could have chosen any other brand. Right. And, you know, Tylenol is the one that got effed. Yeah, exactly. And it's just natural. Like, you're going to go, and like, I'm not going to be against Tylenol all the time, but I'll be like, well, just to be safe in case it's still on the store shelves. Of course. I'll go with that or Anison. I saw Anison. That's not even sold anymore. I, I don't even know what it is. Probably for years to come, people were scared. Yeah. Um, so they offered a $100,000 reward for information on the person who put the poison in the bottles, mm-hmm. Johnson & Johnson. In the ensuing days and weeks, the investigation continues. Um, the core of the first couple of days was not so much to catch the perpetrators as it was to protect the public. Mm-hmm. So it was just like getting the word out there. Right. Um, and then they eventually started having meetings in Des Plaines, Illinois, at a state police facility out there. You had law enforcement agencies, basically uh, FBI, everybody, the U.S. attorney, um, everybody was there trying to figure out all these different leads. They have hundreds and thousands of different leads. People calling in, I think I saw this and this and that, basically trying to process every single one of them. They had so many people on this case, like hundreds and hundreds of people, over 1,200 things they thought were leads. Not people calling, but leads. We would go out and investigate. So actively talking to people and trying to like find the, 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 the crumbs. Just like, I, I can't believe the amount of effort gone into this thing. Right. And at this point in time, they don't even know where it stemmed from, whether right. it was in, within the facility yep. or just some random person. Yep. Um, yeah. And the, this guy, Jeremy Margolis, assistant U.S. attorney, there was thousands of leads, barrels of leads. The phones were ringing off the hook. Hotlines were set up. People were calling day and night. Some meaningful, some preposterous. A uh, hundred officers and agents were running themselves ragged, trying to make an irrational sense of the information being dumped, like drinking from a fire hose, mm-hmm. basically. At this point, national panic sets in. So as soon as Tylenol is like, no, don't pull Tylenol. Everybody's talking about this right now. 
The whole thing went on for a couple weeks. It was a media circus, not just in Chicago or Illinois, all of America and a lot of the world. Yeah, because so. you don't know if it's distributed to other countries. Yeah. And I would imagine the facility with that number was like scoured. Absolutely. To see if there were traces of cyanide within the facility. There were so many people involved in this. Everything was scoured. Mm-hmm. And you're like, it's only a matter of time until they figure this out. I mean, right. somebody's going to find it because there's hundreds of people through FBI, like the highest officials in the nation were on this. I mean, this is, it reminds me of COVID. Like everybody's kind of scared. Like, holy shit. Like what else is in my food? Like, is this a big thing? Like, is, you know, is there, is this is a terrorist attack or well, something? Well, it just goes to show how powerful a person can be to affect other people. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then they got to start looking at like where cyanide purchased from. Can they track to see who's getting it delivered to them? Right everything was being looked mm-hmm. at everything like yeah. and I, I looked at they did a, a pretty good job of getting pretty detailed and one particular thing happened here on wednesday october 6th 1982 um an extortion letter arrives at the johnson and johnson headquarters mm. demanding one million dollars to stop the tylenol killings okay no name attached to it here's what the letter said gentlemen as you can see it's easy to place cyanide both potassium and sodium into capsules sitting on store shelves And since the cyanide is inside the gelatin, it's easy to get the buyers to swallow the bitter pill. Another beauty is that cyanide operates quickly. It takes so very little, and there will be no time to take countermeasures. If you don't mind the publicity of all these little capsules, then do nothing. So far, I've spent less than $50, and it takes me less than 10 minutes per bottle. Piece of shit. If you want to stop the killing, then wire $1 million to the bank account number 844-9597 at Continental Illinois Bank, Chicago, Illinois. Oh, so he's getting a little bold here. Yeah which like asshole yeah (laughs) it's uh yeah just yeah it's it's crazy don't attempt to involve the fbi or local chicago authorities with this letter a couple of phone calls by me will undo anything you can possibly do okay so obviously they take this very seriously of course Um, this is our guy johnson and johnson is prepared to send a million dollars to this bank account like they're yeah that's nothing to johnson and johnson right um but in the meantime, FBI is like, don't do it. It's no. going to start. You do it one time. They're going to ask for another. Like, just wait. So they're like, let us get on it. The FBI obviously traced the bank account number. I mean, mm-hmm. that's number clearly, one. <laughs> yeah. Um, it went to attract to Lakeside Travel, a company that had gone out of business in April of 1982. Okay. The envelope originated from Lakeside as well. The FBI investigated everyone connected with Lakeside. So absolutely everyone. What is Lakeside? Uh, Lakeside Travel. Okay, like a travel agency? Mm-hmm. They're done. Yeah, of course. But yeah. who worked there? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Anybody who had ever worked for mm-hmm. Lakeside Travel, the defunct business. Was there a bearded man that worked for them? Um, No, but they eventually matched fingerprints on the envelope to the husband of a former bookkeeper for Lakeside named james lewis oh james so they went pretty far like Mm -hmm. it was even the spouses of the spouses and i was i was impressed um but yeah james lewis he had a beard uh he had previously diagnosed with schizophrenia and he had been indicted for a murder in 1978 wow but the case was dropped because police fumbled something so couldn't quite prove him on it um for weeks the investigation focuses on him and it turns out that the letter was all due to a grudge that James Lewis held against the former owner of Lakeside Travel, Frederick Miller McCahey. So, so James is trying to get this guy. Yes, exactly. Like, but wow. not the right way to go about. No, and here. why? Why do things to other people? Right, right. Well, he had he had a kind of a grudge with this guy, and I'll tell you in a second here. And oh, and really quick, Frederick Miller McCahey 
was a third generation of the Miller Brewing family. Oh. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Wow, and he works for a travel agency. He owned the travel agency. He owned it. Yeah. Um, So anyways, at some point, Lewis's wife's last paycheck for, I believe, $511 from Lakeside bounced. Okay. So they were going out of business. They just had no money, whatever Mm -hmm. it was. And Lewis got into a big argument with McKay at the while they were trying to go after him in court for the money, mm-hmm. um, which they never got, but ended up not being able to get the money. So Lewis silently vowed to get revenge on the guy and waited until a big news story broke. So whether it was just something, I mean, the police think that he was just waiting for something big to happen and to try to pin things on this guy. Um, not necessarily the, the murder, but just to kind of out him as a piece of shit that isn't paying former employees. Like, his whole idea was to just be like, oh, they're going to look in the account and then find that he didn't pay the employees. Like, there's better ways to go about this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, trying to hope that it would point back to McKay, he, and they'd find out about the wages not being paid. So, Lewis had stationery and decided to send this letter because, obviously, his wife was a bookkeeper. He ended up being convicted of attempted extortion and got a 20-year jail term. Okay, but not necessarily involved with the cyanide, just trying to get a pin to McKay-Hee. Yep, exactly. Got it. Had nothing to do with it, basically. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, it it ends there, then, with him? Kind of. So, we, at this point, have ruled him out from being in charge of putting the cyanide into these capsules all right well we'll see you yeah, go on kind of no it's i mean i'm pretty much done talking about him for the most part he was released on parole 13 years later 1995 today he lives on the east coast as far as i can tell i think he's still alive okay but we've but we obviously investigated did okay you sent this letter to you know expose McKayhee for not paying his wages but did you poison these pills he never admits to anything, and he said no. He feels so bad. Like, even now, he feels so bad for the victims. He ended up writing a book called Poisoned, or Poison. Uh-huh. It, it had nothing to do, he says nothing to do with the Walgreens things, but since he's attached to it, he's trying to, like, like make some money off of it. Once he got out of jail, like, he did a public publicity tour, and people were, like, asking him about the Tylenol murders. He's like, I'm not talking about the Tylenol murders. And they're like... But this is why we're talking to you. Right. We it, don't care about you or what you've, you're doing. Yeah. We're talking to you about this. Right. And at some point, you know, news organizations would be like, Tylenol murders. He's like, no, no, but you can get my new book. It's um, like, no, buddy. It's like, yeah, Something weird is with this dude. Um, it's no, I mean they couldn't pin anything on him. Basically, obviously they tracked to see did he order cyanide. Yes, all those regular things you would think. Yada of. yada. Yep, nothing. Nothing came back. Um, actually, and I don't know if I mentioned it later, but they tried to see if. Oh, I, it'll it'll say right here. We go to Superintendent Brizik. He said it wasn't James Lewis. James Lewis was an asshole. Mm-hmm. And oppor- Just trying to screw this guy. Yep, an opportunist. He tried to extort some money from Johnson and Johnson. He went to jail. He was in the joint a long time when someone in the penitentiary, you can go and talk with him with or without his lawyer present. In all years, all the work James Lewis we put together, nothing. Okay. Um, although, then we go to Attorney General Foner. Do I think James Lewis wasn't involved? I did, and I do. Hmm. So it's still kind of curious here. And the head of the FBI office here at the time, I can't speak for him, but I think he felt as I did. But we could never put him in the city, in the places, at the right time. Because mm-hmm. here's the big thing that prevented it. It turns out Lewis and his wife had left Chicago for the East Coast to move east about a month before the Tylenol murders happened. There was no plane ticket they could find that put him back in Chicago. The, the one possibility is that he flew back for a day and did this and then flew back to the East Coast. But like you said, there was no plane ticket associated with him. So how how could that be i don't know how good the plane ticket like records were uh, at this at time point yeah like now you'd be found of course i mean now there's there's cameras everywhere we'd be able to find this dude if it happened yeah it, absolutely all they'd have to do is pull where did you buy this tylenol pull 
the videos that, okay, here's this person in this store. Here's this person in this store. It's the same person in all these stores. And all over the streets. Yes. And, you know, there's cameras everywhere now, basically. But they just could not get him in Chicago at this time. Like, they could not place him. Okay. They talked to everyone they could. And even if there was, like, a, hey, did he come in for a day? Nope. Talk to friends, associates, everything. Nope. No, everybody said, nah, he wasn't here. Because one would assume that all of this happened maybe on like September 28th because Mary was the first one, the 12-year-old, at 6.30 a.m. We knew it had to happen pretty soon to that. So we would have put him placing these bottles on the shelves somewhere in like the day or so before. I don't know when Mary's family had said they went in and purchased these bottles, but they would you would assume it was very shortly before that. Yes. Okay. Exactly. I mean, all of this happened very soon together. Because she took it at 6.30 a.m. One would assume they had to have purchased it the day before, unless the dad was at the store at like 4 in the morning buying it. Yeah, right. Um, And then I have to ask you, do they find who did this? No. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? I'm sorry. That's bullshit. Yeah. I should have held on to it a little bit more, but no, it's still unsolved at this I point. I am furious. I know. It's it's like, it's just so, it's like sitting there. That somebody went and did this in all these suburbs and all these people died and right. now we don't even know who did this. It's really frustrating. That sucks. Yep. Um, so then we go to, yeah, or he's going to place him in Chicago. Yeah. And so... He was a suspect, still is, still probably mm-hmm. the biggest suspect of the whole thing. But we can't pin it to him. Yep. Quick little interesting story about another suspect, uh, Roger Arnold. He worked at the same warehouse as the father of Mary Reiner, one of the victims. Um, one night while he was drinking at a bar, he was talking to people about how cyanide isn't really that hard to get your hands on and how he actually had some at back at his place. Mm. So the owner of the bar, Marty Sinclair, heard the conversation and informed the police, mm-hmm. as you would imagine. Police searched his home and found some illegal weapons and some chemistry equipment. Interesting. So that was kind of big. They're like, okay, I think we might have something here. Um, they didn't find any cyanide, which doesn't mean that he didn't do it necessarily, but that, okay, we've got something to work on here. So they charged him with the weapons violation and let him go because that's really all they can get him on. Right. And what was he doing with this chemistry equipment? Uh, just interested in chemistry. I mean... Like, dude, what are you doing with these test tubes? Well, people are allowed to have... Yeah, you're allowed to, but I was just curious to know what what are you doing with this? Perhaps he's a hobbyist. Perhaps he is. Yeah. Um, for a while, this Roger guy was pissed off at the bar owner, understandably so. He outed him. Like, <laughs> yeah, Marty Sinclair. Made him be investigated. Yep. Um, so, you know, for telling police about the conversation. So on June 17th, 1983, he decided to confront Marty Sinclair and wait for him outside of the bar oh, after a close. Oh, God, no. Yep. Unfortunately, a man named John Stanisha, who looked similar to Marty Sinclair, uh, was the target. And Roger Arnold mistook him for the bar owner and shot him to death. What? So he was walking out of the bar. He looked similar to Marty Sinclair. Shot him. Oh, my boom, gosh. Boom, boom, boom. And who shot him? Roger Arnold, this, um, the suspect. The suspect. The yeah. What a nut. So he came back to try to find Marty Sinclair. And shoots the wrong guy. Yeah. So only some guy he doesn't even know. John wow. Stanisha had no idea about Roger here. Um, he ended up spending 15 years in jail for killing another 15 man. 15 years? No, it doesn't Seriously? Seem like much. Yeah, I know. 
crazy. That's insane. You walk up to somebody, shoot them, and that's 15 years. In 15 years, years, you're back on the streets. Like, you are mentally fucked. Right. Oh, I'm I'm pissed off at you. I'm going to shoot you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, tell you what. Sit in the cell for 15 years. And and you're going to be fine. You'll be fine. I'm sure you won't do anything else crazy. Go back to your chemistry set. Yeah. You, you know, dabble in whatever the fuck you're doing with these test tubes. Yeah. I can only imagine you'd be like, oh, I'm going to go after more people. Yeah. (laughs) That scares me. Yeah. That's pretty bad. And another crazy person that they were going after was a guy named Ted Kaczynski. Ted Kaczynski. He was the... uh, Unabomber. Yes. (laughs) So So they were suspecting he was involved in this? A little bit. uh, Which, I mean, would make sense. Yeah. So it seems crazy, but Ted Kaczynski, Unabomber, was looked at as a suspect. His parents owned a house in the Chicago suburbs. And right near a lot of these places. How old was he at this time? Uh, I don't know. But this was about... Um, oh, and also the first four Unabomber crimes happened in Chicago a couple of years before the poisonings. Okay. So it was about the same time that he did mm-hmm. all of the bombings. Uh, it didn't really lead anywhere. Um, they did interview him plenty of times. Um, Ted Kaczynski said he's never owned cyanide, and there wasn't anything else to really point at him. Okay. Uh, they asked him for DNA at one point, and it was kind of a weird story. I, I did some research. They said, can, can we voluntarily get your DNA to test? And he's like, yes, on the condition that you don't sell any of my stuff from my, my cabin where I made all my bombs. Because he doesn't want his DNA out across the U.S. that everybody has a little piece of his DNA elsewhere. Like it was, this Ted Kaczynski seemed like a kind of a, one of those mad scientists, like really smart mm-hmm. guys. And th- unfortunately, the authorities didn't listen to him and they sold all his shit. And he's like, nope, now you did that. I'm not selling my DNA. Because mm-hmm. now everybody has my DNA, and it could put me on something that I'm not a part of. Mm-hmm. So kind of fair, I would say. You know, like all the authorities had to do was not sell the shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, they made millions on it. So I, I don't know. Yeah, that, that was a whole weird So thing. Ted Kaczynski had done some bombings in the years before, but hadn't yet been caught at this point? Correct. Okay. Um, well, no, no. He, he was caught. He was well, wasn't like, he in jail? Yeah, yeah. No. So was, how could he have done the poisonings? Because this was, I don't know. I mean, they were trying to figure it out, I guess. If he was in prison, how could yeah. he have poisoned anybody? I don't know. Because he was a well-known person in, in the area and whatever. I don't but know. But in 1982, he was sitting behind bars? Yes. Okay. So I don't know how they thought he could have. But some kind of connection. Okay. Maybe, so maybe, maybe like he knew somebody on the outside correct. and was conspi- conspiring with that. And a smart enough guy to be able to do it. Okay. They also it. said, and there, there turned out to be another, like kind of a, a copycat case in like, um, the Seattle area, I believe maybe Oregon. I, I forgot, but so th- this copycat case was on the way to his cabin, like, Interesting. Uh, like from Chicago to the West, to his cabin that he had this, this city that it happened in, like they found a, a pill bottle in the city that he had to go through. Also. Oh. So there were some connections okay. was, um, in the, the, my favorite murder, uh, women, uh, one of them really strongly thinks that Ted Kaczynski is involved. He himself wouldn't have put the cyanide in the pills, but he could have talked with somebody that did it. Right. Okay. Right. Um, so now we go to Wednesday, October 20th. I'm quoting Superintendent uh, Brizik. We got no breaks. No breaks. The What began to bother me was the bullshit that was coming out in the pr- about the progress being made in the investigation. I guess they were telling the public, yeah, we're making progress, but nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing was happening, basically. And he was getting pissed off. He's like, we're feeding lines of bullshit to these people. He said, I called a press conference, and I said, in my opinion, we know nothing more now than we did when the murder first took place. Which is so scary, because it could happen again at any moment. Right. And so the public's like, oh, man, that sucks. You but know? at this point, they're putting the tamper-resistant packaging on. right to prevent okay, it from got the it. but in the meantime it could be happening within the facility right 
right. before I mean, the packaging is placed. At this time, they pretty much know that it's... Outside? Yeah, okay. it's outside. Well, that's good. Yeah, exactly. And in my opinion, based on what is known, the case will never be solved. So sad. Do you want to talk about the shit hitting the fan? We had a big meeting with the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um, a bunch of people were there. What did you say that for? They asked. Like, they were pissed off at him. Like, what did you say? Like It's called the truth. Yeah. And he said, that's what he said. Quote, because it's the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said, you're bullshitting the people and they're terrified. Stop giving them false hope. Tell Thank them the you. truth. Thank you. We need more people that are willing to tell the truth. Absolutely. So uh, they tested, obviously, every single pill. Right. So here's some information on the test results. Altogether, over 10 million recalled pills were tested. The results found 50 capsules. Between eight bottles had signed up. 50 them. capsules between eight bottles. That's it. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, and then you can't just focus on Tylenol. You have to look at other brands that can separate and, you know, put, you know, did they do that? Anything in the capsule form. Yeah. They looked into stuff and nothing ever came about. So, wow. Um, so out of the eight bottles, five of the bottles were from the victims we've talked about so mm-hmm. far. So three are somewhere else. Yep. And out of those three that are extra, two of the bottles were sent back in the recall. Okay. So when they said, get them off the shelves. Thank God. Yep. One bottle was found for sale on a store shelf. Hmm. So it was still sitting there? Yeah. They didn't send it back for a recall or whatever. Somebody found it and was like, why is this Tylenol and somebody would have died. Yeah. There was cyanide sitting in so that So did the pharmacy or whatever store still had this on their shelf get fined for this? I'm sure. Maybe it was a tiny little like gas station. You know, who knows? Yeah. It's like, hello, did you not hear us say remove the Tylenol? Yeah. Yeah, so I can't believe it could have happened again. Yes. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, here's the exact numbers. Tylenol's market share of the over-the-counter pain relief market dropped from 35% to 8%. Wow, that sucks for them. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how long it took for them to bounce back. Quickly. They came back quickly, about a year. Really? That's um, actually surprising. I know. So the this whole situation with Tylenol, this is looked at from a PR perspective, public relations perspective, mm-hmm. as like a perfect way to handle things because they jumped in right away and they said, just take the things off the shelves. It wasn't like, no, wait, uh, who knows? I mean, initially it was. They're doing their yeah. due diligence, you know. But I'm, a lot of colleges right now study the way Johnson & Johnson handled this, and they're almost saying it's a perfect way to handle Good. this public relations thing. They came back, and they added they, they had a triple seal on all their, their uh, bottles, and they were saying, well, we're safer than ever, like, you know, uh-huh. basically, and they had big coupons. They were like, let's buy back the market share. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. So and they, it's not their fault that some crazy whack job decided to walk into stores and grab their bottles, right. but it happened, and they seem to have handled it good they did and so now it's like looked at yeah like a textbook literally a textbook way of handling things did they end up bouncing back higher because people had respect with the way that they handled it um yeah good i mean maybe it's hard to say exactly why but yeah they they did really well basically because this could have wiped them out you know right like tylenol wouldn't we wouldn't be talking you know we wouldn't have it in the we don't take Tylenol. It doesn't really help me. Right. But, um, you know, the fact that Tylenol is still out there after such a huge thing. We're a generic ibuprofen family. Yes, we are. Because Lord knows Mike wouldn't allow us to buy the brand name. Yeah. And Ad- why would we, right? Advil, man, the candy-coated pills, you're not getting me for I mean, they taste bucks. nice and sweet. They do. They do. It's just a little bit of sugar. Just a little bit of sugar. Yeah. Um, so they interviewed everyone they could think of, former Tylenol workers, people caught shoplifting in stores. Mm-hmm. I mean, they went far. Like, Which is great, but yeah. sadly, it led us still empty-handed. People in psychiatric hospitals, like nothing. They also tried to publicize a few of the funerals. 
they were like they told uh, Bob Green. Remember him? He was a writer for the Chicago Tribune. Mm-mm. So police, they, he's a big writer. Like wrote about lifestyle stuff. Kind of a funny guy, irreverent. Like you know, people would always read his. He was a big, big um, you know columnist. And they said they the police went to him and said, "Hey, tell the address of where these, these bodies are going to be buried," mm-hmm. because their hope was the murderer would visit show up yeah and just be like well i I killed this person and you know some power trip or something so they had set up cameras at all these funerals and stuff and all the you know locations and never showed up unfortunately um so they've tried like everything Mm -hmm. i mean they're at their wit's end basically um eventually i mean nothing happened so monday october 25th authorities reduced the town task force from 115 investigators to about 40 mm-hmm. starting to peel off it's like what are we going to do here yeah well they're getting nowhere yep sergeant riser said at the end everybody just said that's it there's no more to be done that's sad yep today 39 years after the seven deaths the tylenol murders remain unsolved that pisses me off yep um did we ever figure out who this bearded man was no not definitively and it could have been nobody right yeah. they said it does look like that guy james uh-huh um it looks similar to him. So if anything, they actually reopened. I have a few other quotes, but I've been going on for an hour and 10 minutes. Uh-huh. Here. I think I've done everything. But uh, they reopened the case in the 90s just to say like, hey, we've got better DNA technology now. Could They found a, a fingerprint on the bottle of one of the Tylenol bottles, and they wanted to compare them to this James guy and his wife. They actually asked for their DNA. They won't tell them why. Like these guys won't speak. And because it's still technically an open investigation, sure. there's not plenty of information available for it. So it's still open right now. But the fingerprint didn't match anything that's in the database? Not as far as they found, no. Okay. Um, and then what was I going to say? I was going to ask you something and it just flew out of my mind. Well, while you're thinking about it, um, this was kind of interesting to me. Attorney General Foner, I'm, I have a few different quotes here that was kind of interesting. He said, I don't mean to be melodramatic, but it was kind of the first act of terrorism. Yeah. I mean, as far as they knew, in, in that there was no intended victim, just random victims. Um, the first act of uh, like local terrorism. And that makes it that much scarier yeah. when the, there's unknown and you don't know. Like, obviously, this 27-year-old, this 12-year-old, like, you know, this flight attendant, it just people are randomly dropping, which makes the scare factor that much higher. Right. Yeah, in domestic terrorism is what mm-hmm. I meant. So not unlike what happens in the world today when people throw pipe bombs. Up until that time, when you had mass murderers like Richard Speck, uh, these were people who had selected victims, decided they were going to do or not do something. But this was random. And that was what terrorism is to me, to mm-hmm. frighten or kill indiscriminately. Right. And there are murderers like that, like um, the Night Stalker yep. out in California. He had no specific profile, which makes it, again, that much scarier. Where you could say, like, Ted Bundy, oh, you're young, you have this brown hair that's in the, you know, college age, blah, blah, blah. It's so much scarier when you, it could be anybody. Well, and then there's two more quotes I want to read. Just... One from the the top cop at the time, Superintendent Brizek, Brizek, who I've mentioned a few times, his opinion was that it was an initial homicide where the bad guy knew the victim and that was it. And then to cover it up, the bad guy went and contaminated the other ones. Okay. The motive makes the most sense to me, he says. Then another guy, Firefighter Keyworth, who was part of the whole thing. I personally think the person involved in this or persons, my gut feeling was that their purpose was to bring the U.S. to its knees. Look at the power we have. We can shut down the entire economy. We can control the world. And for a short period of time, they did. In today's mm-hmm. world, it would be domestic terrorism. We didn't have that terminology back then, but it was actually the first case of domestic terrorism in the country. So, I mean, it could have been just somebody that was disgruntled against Johnson & Johnson. So, obviously, they looked at all the victims that had passed away, 
it, did they have anyone that was against them or that had been pissed off from them and yep. uh, you know that led nowhere yeah this uh, one video i watched this guy's like was it big advil you it know? could be anything and nothing. It could yeah. be a crazy person that woke up one morning and just said, I want to kill some people. Yeah. Randomly grabbed the Tylenol bottles, filled them with cyanide, put them back on the shelves, and as simple as that. No target, no grudge, no nothing. Just, you know, psychotic. Right. Yeah. Who it's, knows? And, it, you know, at this time, imagine, like, wondering if milk was poisoned, wondering if oh, it's... Well, it just goes to show you, like you say, the power of people. And that's where you really have to check to make sure that the seal is there right. when you're opening your milk gallon and and that sort of thing yeah and actually there's a quote i, I kept from flight attendant ahern you know the, the flight attendant friend of the mm-hmm. girl that died she said i swear to you there was no over-the-counter pills in my house for over two years i bet no aspirin no tylenol i lost my trust in humanity yeah it's like imagine scary as shit i could totally see that i was afraid to give my kids milk because there was no safety caps on milk at the time and i bet you this spanned other companies like you said milk milks yeah. now is the did that start shortly after this yeah of course everything yes, absolutely everything. every every food and drug thing that it started having safety things off of this so a lot of this all happened around 1982 then yep i was worried about cereal i kept to myself if they can open a pill bottle and put cyanide in there what's to stop them from poisoning every single piece of our food that's uh, it's scary that this poor woman probably questioned everything that was ingested by her family and other people and as not well. just her not everybody. just her everybody everybody across the nation and so which like, can be good because yes. we have to take safety precautions well the other day i opened some milk and it was kind of already opened i'm like eh, it smells good it's fine because we're lazy and we don't want to go right. back to the store and return it and get a fresh gallon right because it would put me out of time but like imagine like next time i do that i'm gonna imagine one of my children dying yes i'll be like okay it's not worth this we had the hot sauce delivered through amazon and the top of the bottle was cracked i could tell that it had just happened incidentally in packaging but it could have been manipulated yeah that's a great example yeah and um you know the sad thing is is that these safety precautions don't necessarily happen proactively they happen reactively because they cost money yeah i mean every you know it'd be nice if every company just did the nice thing but that's not always how it works or that people weren't pieces of shit that put poison into pills yes or milk or whatever that would be much better yeah but sadly that's not the case yeah so hopefully everybody learned something today hopefully everybody's a little bit more cautious if something is already open don't take it yeah just take the time to go back to the store and exchange it um but i'm i'm very annoyed that we don't know who the f did this i know i'm sorry I tried to find out before I brought it on. You Thanks know. a lot, Mike. Yeah. Hey, maybe next week I'll have an update and I'll find the person who did it. <laughs> yeah, that would be uncanny. Yeah. And All in right. the meantime, I will be up next. Yep. And it always falls on me to record early. We'll be releasing next Sunday, Nobody the day cares. after Christmas. I, I just like to complain. Hey, unlike some of the other big podcasts out there, we're letting a new episode go every Sunday. We're a little seedling in the in the pot. That's right. That's and right. that's okay. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Please give us a five-star review and a couple words. Um, thank you for all the people leaving reviews. We have all five-star reviews so far. It's very nice. Yeah. And we want you all to stay safe and healthy during the holidays. Yeah. Watch out. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. All that good stuff. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Be safe. And we will see you back next time. Yep. Bye. Bye.